and welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. Joining me on the pod is Ski Racing Anorak, Mr. Benjamin Clark. All right, Ben? I mean, Anorak, maybe. Probably not after last week's picks. <laughs> uh, and former Olympic downhiller, now atomic rep and ski racing commentary expert extraordinaire, Mr. Finley Mickel. Finnis, how are you? Looking forward to this one and only drinking water this evening. <laughs> uh, and finally, we welcome newcomer to the pod, Sally Bartlett, the UK's biggest independent sports winter sports shop owner. Sorry, I just broadened your whole spectrum there. I'm, I'm liking it. I'm liking that <laughs> that, that broader spectrum. Of. <laughs> uh, Sally, we'll, we'll go straight to you. How are you? What's How's it all been going with the with the shop and difficult corona times for you it's been an interesting one shall we say it's uh well kicking off now it's definitely some snow falling in the alps people are um just going should i say sod it and are going anyway and they're forgetting about obviously not forgetting that they've got to quarantine when they've come back coming back but they're just actually going going which is brilliant i think people are loving the mountain still and their that love is is not lost so it's been hard up until now but there's definitely that that energy is coming back thick and fast good 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 uk racers will know exactly who you are and and who Ski Bartlett are but for those of you that are further afield Sally tell us a little bit about Ski Bartlett. So Ski Bartlett or yeah Sally Bartlett who am I so I started racing with these guys with Ben or was always known as Bino, Ed, Finn. Uh, so we always we all used to race on dry slope together and then obviously away on snow I was a member of the England team, like national team. Um, And throughout that time, you couldn't buy race equipment in the UK. So as a shop, we started bringing that in from Europe. Um, And what started off with a little cardboard box in the back of a, a race van grew to becoming now the biggest race shop in the UK and shipping here, there and everywhere all around the world but not just race it's kind of any specialist ski equipment you can imagine so whether you're touring racing lots of ski expertise, boot fitting expertise, any expertise <laughs> you can imagine yeah within skiing uh we're there <laughs> which leads us back to racing i don't know about you guys i'm sure you're all the same how amazing was it to have a bit of good news for us being with the uh, ski racing being back on tv I think uh, for everybody, it was a uh, a welcome return to a little bit of normality. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was brilliant seeing some racing. And for once, Solden uh, did its job and let both races get underway. We've had some years where people have been not able to race because of high winds, bad visibility. Uh, but it was absolutely brilliant to get some racing underway and uh, listening to uh, Finn do his thing on the on the commentary. It was perfect. I think um, we've been waiting so long to have picture postcard conditions insoled and we've had battles for seasons gone by. And now we had it two weeks of minus 10 hour below every night in the lead up. The best training for the athletes. And then on race day, great conditions. Okay, first run for the women was a little bit foggy, especially for the early numbers, but the snow was perfect. And we know how difficult it is in Solden on that Rettenbach piece. It's so steep, so challenging and icy. And the bumps were what the bumps normally are. You had to have the skill set to get through those steeps and not get thrown out of the course as many did uh, during the weekend. Solden is 
classic for uh, that Judder up, which obviously forms after racer, after racer, after racer. And um, Bassino on that first run, I mean, she went, what did she go? Number two? I think she was bib two. So she just had, like, she took advantage. Obviously, you get your luck with the draws. The top seven are drawn first, then eight to 15. So uh, Bassino got the luck in the early draw, but took advantage of it. And I wondered whether it was just taking advantage of, like, good piece conditions with a smooth top of the turn she was so clean when she arced on even on the steep obviously with that gradient it's like 60 odd percent to see her put such a clean arc down from the get-go was mega to see i think uh, those early numbers petra Falhova was running three bastino starting two they had really difficult fall conditions in the first gates and to get that feel that sense of the snow in the first race of the season is really difficult and marta had it she had it the whole way down the piece she was instantly confident and taking huge risks and it was incredibly exciting to watch. We talked about how summer training had been so, you know, obviously been disrupted with Corona uh, and that this the opening weekend had been brought a week further forward. So it became quite tricky for these guys to, to hit the ground and hit the ground running. And she literally just from the first turn just looked like she hadn't stopped racing all winter long. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree, uh, guys. The film is right. The visibility at the start didn't look brilliant for some of the races, and you could see that in in the skiing. Although once they got through that top section, the the fog had cleared, but it still looked quite flat light in in certainly in the middle of the course. There were a lot of people who I'm used to seeing a lot more attacking from that we really didn't see uh, that skiing from on the first run. There was a lot of kind of tentative um, top of the turn where people weren't quite sure where they wanted to put the pressure on and couldn't quite pick out uh, the judders as they were as they were building up. Um, but that first run from Bassino was, was absolutely incredible. No one really got near her. I mean, it's a big testament to some of the races on the second run for really putting a big effort in to try and claw back some of that time. You mentioned it, Finn, with Vlahova having an early bib number, and that's somebody that really didn't take advantage of those conditions. She found herself, uh, what was it, nearly two seconds behind Bassino on the first run? So she left herself with an awful lot of work to do. Yeah, well, and my pick for the win was uh, Alice Robinson, and she didn't come up too too hot on that first run either. Um, she definitely was getting a bit backseat coming down the steep section. She just seemed a bit tentative all over for me um, in, in that first run. She wasn't unsure. She wasn't that sure of herself, and, and the tour was missing Schifrin. You know, the tour loves to have Schifrin there. Yeah, I was watching thinking, I wonder how Schifrin would fit into this race where there was, you know, when the final results came out, obviously the first two, Brignoni and Bassino, were, were right next to each other, but there was a really big gap to Vlahova and you have to wonder if Schifrin had, had made it over, would she fit into that big gap there or possibly even uh, taken one of the top steps we mentioned last week? It's probably not one of her better um, slopes for skiing on, but there was definitely the possibility in there that she could have really uh, put, put some pressure on the, on the two Italians. Yeah, she picked up that um, back niggle that's that's sort of kept her out of training, kept her out of Solden, sorry, for the racing. It'd be, well, should have, would have, could have, would have been interesting to see where she fit in. But Robinson, slightly subpar weekend, came in off the back of winning last season. Some impressive stuff we talked about in the pre-show. We expected a little bit more from her, a little bit race rusty potentially, or maybe that pressure was getting to her. What do you think, Finn? I think uh, it's a big thing of expectation when you've won a race before and she's coming back for the first time having won that race and that level of expectation and where do you put that? Um, she didn't perform perfectly. She was fourth after that first run, but 
for me, the second run before she made her huge mistake and lost all that time, I saw three or four turns, the best turns I've ever seen her do. So it's definitely going right in training. We know how hard it is on the Retin back glacier to get it all right. It's pretty much impossible to get it all right. So she made some costly mistakes, but she could have well been on the podium uh, on the first GS of the season. But uh, unfortunately, it's that difficult when it's over 60% gradient. Mistakes do happen. Yeah, so one of the um, hot ones that we obviously were all wanting to see was Alex Tilly. So obviously British racer, skiing really well, has definitely during the summer been working really, really hard. Um, I know, Finn, you had quite quite a few words to say about her first run. You were pretty impressed with her skiing, weren't you? Well, I've been speaking with Noel and the build-up to it. They seem to have got a place now where they're comfortable with the boots. They've been testing different length skis and they're now dialing into a certain ski. So I, I love to hear that the athletes are set up with the setup and it's all about the technical and then the mental side of it come race time. When you start hearing athletes talking about the setup midway through the season, there's whole sorts of other stuff going on. So I was really happy to hear Tilly has got it all going on. She's comfortable with the equipment, really important. And then she was putting some great turns down. She wasn't getting blocked. She sometimes gets trapped in the middle of the turn and doesn't move through it. And, she, and, and they've been working on this rolling onto the new turn to keep the movement going. And I saw a lot of that. So, so very positive for Alex in proving, showing us what she's capable of. It's hard to get it. It's hard to get it on all the turns, like we say uh, on the Rettenbach. It's the, the toughest GS for the women all season long. It's race one. Actually, that second run from her was pretty. It was something pretty cool. Just one turn, basically, on that banana coming off the steep, just losing pressure on the outside. That and then that meant she just lost all her speed across the flat. I chatted to Noel just briefly before her coach Noel before we uh, came on air, and he was saying that he was really pleased with how they were going. He can't be disappointed for one bad turn, and I think in reality that was probably all it was. Attacking style that we're getting really used to seeing from her, and uh, all in all, Ben, I think probably. A, a very good start to the season. Yeah, I was pretty happy with what I saw, and it was quite interesting watching the racing without the sound of Austrian screaming in the background. You can really hear how hard they have to work to stay just upright on that wall, let alone in, in the kind of ideal line. And, and you can really tell with Alex when she's racing, you can hear all of the kind of effort going into keeping on the line and getting off the edges and not kind of hanging on really late. So I really enjoyed that with quite a lot of the athletes over the weekend, like really hearing the, the skis chattering and then also just the, the sheer effort it takes to, to try and stay in the right line. Uh, and especially through those last few turns when the people are tucking out on the flat and they're up to like a minute eight and a minute nine and you can hear the pain in their, <laughs> hear, the, hear the pain in their breathing as they come to the finish. It was, it was really, it was really, uh, really good to watch. I'll tell you what I was actually quite pleasantly surprised about seeing was how many high numbers made it in for the second run which isn't somewhere that you would say is typical for getting high numbers in there but we had Miradoli from the French team from Bib 68, Takachenko from the Russians had Bib 67, Grenier from the Canadians Bib 58, O'Brien for the Americans from 64 and Maltzen who absolutely had a a cracker of a race day from 62nd. In really interesting it's really nice to see some guys coming from so far back and going straight into the sharp end. We had seven from outside of that top 30 make it into the flip, but it's very rare you have four with a bib number 60 getting into the flip. So there's some fast young skiers coming through. 
the snow is in perfect condition to give them the opportunity. And they were willing to go out there and take that opportunity because it's hard on that piece to go out and want to go faster when it's so difficult. And um, there are some places in summer you can train almost as steep as that. There's some places in Sass Fay, a couple of turns on the steep in Sass Fay you'll get, but not that consistent 15 to 17 turns of that steep. There's nowhere you can train that in summer, even if you were to go to South America, which obviously the athletes couldn't do this summer. It is really nice to see them put in such a positive performance and only going to serve them well for the rest of the uh, for the rest of their time, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. And the the fact that the snow conditions were so good, I mean, you could see from the mountains around, normally it's just a little strip in the middle of, you know, that they're racing on that's got snow on, the rest is brown. You know, this year, the amount of actual natural snow, I know it's injected, but it must have a difference to the way it skis when it's, um, you know, kind of more natural snow that's fallen, um, you know, and I guess the glaciers are just in really good condition. So maybe some of these guys have had some some really good uh, glacier training during the summer that they've actually been able to step up to the mark now for this year. Yeah, some of those uh, some of those camera shots were mega. Like you really picked up the injection, didn't you? You could see your reflection. You could almost see the camera reflected in the ice. I can't remember which Austrian it was that fell towards the bottom of the steep, and you could just see like this sort of blue ice field that she's trying to arc her way through. And talking of which, did uh, you happen to notice the um, gatekeeper that had a little <laughs> slip down the hill and uh, a very, very long walk back up again, I feel. <laughs> Even with crampons on, he went down end over end and by the bottom he had bare hands trying to slow himself down. He was just going, no bare hands on that ice. He ended up with zero skin left. Yeah, brutal. <laughs> oh no, it's brutal. It's almost like somebody's got to do it every year. Like there's a, you know, every year somebody does it. So I wonder if they were standing at the side of the peach going, uh, it's your turn now, mate. <laughs> I was just gonna I was just gonna say the same. It wouldn't be a Soldom race without a picture of an official sliding down the hill uh to the side. One thing you, you mentioned there, Red, uh one of the Austrians crashing. Do do we do we wanna mention the Austrians? This is uh, I've, I've been doing a lot of Google translating today and there is a lot of angry uh, Austrian press uh, out there at the moment. We'll, we'll get on to the men's in a bit, but in the women's, that was also 15th and, and 17th for Trooper and, and, and Brunner. And that's the, the worst Austrian women have ever done at Solden, which is pretty terrible by their standards. Obviously brilliant for Stephanie Brunner to come back. I think it's been like 21 months or something yeah. she'd been out. Um, so, so it, in some ways, brilliant for her to come back and get a race under her belt. But again, the Austrian tech team looking all, all at sea. I was, I was wondering who was going to be the first to jump in on the Austrians. And I know you've got a love for the Austrians, Ben. So I, I think whether you bag on them now for the women or just bag on them for the men, or we just go for the whole thing right now, I think it's probably they're used to it. They would have got an absolute hammering in the press uh, and they have done by all accounts. We were chatting to Marcel Mathis, who who's comes on the pod fairly often. And he sent through this stack. He's been uh, he's about to start writing for one of the Austrian newspapers, a column on ski racing. And he sent through a stat saying how uh, he thinks it's embarrassing that for the Austrian ski team, that since 2010, he's the fifth most successful GS skier still. And he got two third places on the podium. And that is still the fifth best Austrian performer since 2010. Other than that, you've got, so since 2010, Hirscher won 30 times, was second 18 times, and was third 10 times. 
Scherkhofer is the second most successful with one win, one second and four thirds. Benny Reich, two seconds, one third. Hannes Reichelt, two seconds and one third. Marcel Mathis, two thirds. And Manu Feller, one second. I mean, obviously we haven't picked up uh, Benny's um, heyday. Hey, Ben, before you start smashing computer screens. <laughs> uh, no, that is, that is quite damning. Just the fact that they've won 30 races since 2010 in GS and only one of them hasn't been by Marcel Herscher just shows how much he was carrying that tech side, especially in GS. Like they've had a few uh, people like Marco Schwartz pop in and, and, and win some races on the, uh, on the slalom side. But in GS, because he was winning everything so handsomely, you just didn't realise how bare the cupboard was behind him. And, and we said, when Marcel retired, we'll see what everyone else has got now. And worryingly, the answer is not very much. I mean, it's only the first race of the season, so you don't need to get too uh, kind of down on down on the, on the men's side for that. Um, they've got, you know, the rest of the season to, to make up for it. And as we said earlier, they've got some new coaches installed um, as, as well. So, Maybe there'll be some some progress coming from that, and maybe Manny Feller with his with his back injury kind of rested will will have something to say about it. But yeah, it's it's, it's quite shocking uh, on on uh, certainly on the on the men's side just how bare the cupboard is for them. Yeah, it doesn't look like there's uh, it's going to get restocked anytime soon. Roland Lightinger looked pretty good before he had his crash, um, but that was still you know top fifteen. It wasn't wasn't top fives, wasn't podium. So uh, a long, hard look, which they've already been doing, to be fair. This isn't something that's, a, it's not a surprise. You know, Hirscher retired over a season ago now. So they, they've been playing this out all winter last season. Thankfully for the Austrians, the speed side on both the ladies and the men's have been uh, giving them a bit of something to cheer about. But actually, Finn, it's, uh, it's pretty much unheard of. I think the interesting point for me for the Austrians, if we're going to come across to the men, is that Matthias Meyer and Vincent Kriegmeier were in the top 30. These are downhiller guys. These are big downhill Super G guys, and they're coming into the four now in GS. So are these going to be players in the overall? I mean, we've seen after Hirscher going a real change uh, in the guard. I mean, the Swiss won the Nations Cup for the first time in God, 20 years, probably more than that. Um, it's been Austrian dominated for so long, the overall winning World Cup points per nation, men and female. And um, so the Swiss ha have a more connected gel team, you would say, across the board. But um, interestingly, for the downhill guys and the, and the Austrians, maybe it's, you know, it's coming back to a downhill team again without Hirscher, um, which is interesting how we'll see that progress when we start to see uh, the other races coming forwards with the longboards. Before we head over to the men, I just want to, I mean, I don't really want to go to picks that we had for the weekend because it wasn't good for any of us. Finn, who did you call? Because you did say it in commentary, but I've, I've forgotten who you called for the women. Yeah, I was with Alice Robinson for the win and uh, Brignone for the podium. So, so uh, Alice, yeah, that, that, that was where my pick was. Yeah, so Rob, Rob, yeah, you can't have two picks. Ben will tell you all about not having two picks. So you had one pick, Robinson. <laughs> Neil <I'm> wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, likewise, Finn, I also was Alice Robinson and got no points. And likewise, I was also Alice Robinson and got <laughs> zero points. What about you, Ben? Well, we all know who Ben chooses. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't follow the crowd. I followed my own uh, routine of just always picking Tessa Worley and Jess. And uh, as usual, apart from the very one time that she uh, she won down sold and she let me down again. Uh, she, Tessa looked really, really rusty. Um, uh, really, not much attack on the first run uh, at all. And and 
similar to Alice Robinson on the second round, just had a mistake at the one place we talked about not having a mistake uh, right at the bottom of the steep, just as you're about to come onto the flat. So, um, you know, Tessa finished up in ninth. So hopefully there's some, some more to come from her in the rest of the season. Yeah, well, if you're going to get anywhere up the uh, podcast predictions league, you're going to need her to get up because you're only going to pick her from here on in anyway. <laughs> so she better, for your sake, she better pick it up for nothing else. Or Just don't refer to me yeah. as an expert anymore. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, or maybe the next French person will come along for you to choose. We all... Uh, especially you and I, Ben, need to hang our heads in shame that our picks were, were quite a long way off. We didn't even make the flip. We were outside the top 30 in, in the uh, podcast predictions league table. So uh, some some much needed hard work doing. I think we've got a month or so, just under a month. It's a, lo- <laughs> it's a long season, Ed. It's a long season. Just warm up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's going to help us, mate. <laughs> Probably not, no. We want to talk a little bit about equipment and how on something like that and something that's so tough like Solden, how as, as we've got atomic experts here, we'll sort of go from their side, which obviously is applicable across the board from brands, but obviously how they deal with the rough stuff, with the ice, with the injection, and then how that translates into what we can buy as uh, Joe Public in the shops, Finley. Yeah, I think firstly, what's interesting for the real ice is how they service the skis and if it's going to be hand filing or a machine and quite often when it's icier, it's a machine and that's products that you can get at uh, Ski Barlets and how you choose to service or for the younger kids, how their parents choose to service and I'm one of those parents who chooses (laughs) to service with a hand file. But uh, from, from from a brand perspective, you know, with Ski Barlets having that Atomic Pro sensor and that's taking the level of expertise and the same top end level of equipment that we can get out of Austria at the factory to the UK so that everybody looking to buy local from the UK has the opportunity to get that expertise, that level of equipment straight from Bartlett Sports. The boot fitting is so key in how a racer performs. I think it's the most important critical bit of equipment is getting the boots right getting them nice and the right size, not going too big, having them as tight as is possibly manageable without creating any damage to the feet. I think for a racer, that's a real thing. So having the best opportunity of getting the right equipment, getting the right advice and getting it the the correct size and the work that's going to make. And there's a lot of work that goes into the boots to make that fit and the performance comes from that. How how would you say that, Sally? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. The fit of the boots or the customization that goes into fitting a boot is one of the most important things. So, you know, they were like one of our kind of, I guess, sayings is that um, the foundations of your skiing come from what's going on under your foot. Um, and that's the footbed. So it's not just about kind of buying a pair of ski boots off the shelf. It's um, actually having a custom fitted footbed. It's the work that goes into making the boot function for you. Um, but that's the same with the skis. And I know the guys at the factory, um, Solden isn't just around the corner from like, say, for instance, the Atomic Factory. But when I was out there once, it was when Solden was on. Um, and there were service guys backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And they were testing skis on the hill and you know it's a non-stop process it's not just a case of um you know we'll turn up with a few skis you know and away we go it's it's the lead up to any of these world cups is you know a big aspect of it interesting one from my history of racing with atomic and now working with atomic is we used to go up to that solden glacier right by the fridge which is anyone's been there it's cold you're in the shade all day and i used to call my australian teammates saying 
why am I up at the downhill testing skis day after day after day and you guys are in the surf down in Australia and I'm freezing cold, even in summer, just lapping up and down, going on a ski do, going up, lapping back down, testing which downhill ski, which super G ski, which base is running fast and what uh, weather conditions and that's an Austrian base or a, an atomic base test site there at Solden. So the work that goes on behind the scenes for all of the disciplines and the development of the equipment is massive. And I think, generally speaking, when you're watching racing, we got to hear about that a little bit more through Marcel here. Sure, he was so focused in on that and he shared that information. A lot of other people kind of hold that information a little bit tighter to their chest. They don't want anyone else to know about it. And I think it's a really interesting thing. If you're into skiing, if your kids are into racing, if you want to take the next step, how you can do that with equipment tweaks and changes and how important that is. I mean, technique is right up there in strength and power for the younger kids, but the closer you get to the top, these micro changes make the, the, the difference that could be that second run, that top 10. So, so that the higher level you are, the more important equipment, the, the fine tuning of the equipment is, I would say. Yeah, and I guess having, having the factory so close to places like Solden can only benefit the athletes. We talked about, we talked about it so many times. We, you mentioned Marcel Hirscher, how he would have his arsenal of skis, even for a tech race, would have sort of six or seven pairs on race day ready to go so that he could just, you know, flick through them and decide that, no, that I want it slightly sharper to the tip or the flex like this or the base needs to be like this. And just be, he was the master of fine tuning and the touch on you know in terms of being able to feel and read what was happening under his feet and to know exactly what that translated to into equipment and therefore Finn he ended up creating and helping to create lots of new products didn't he? I think it really starts with how many years he was behind Ted Liggy and how hard he had to work to catch up with Ted Liggy's setup in GS and he went deep into testing everything wild ideas his brother um, was, was working with him for, for his boots out at the factory and, and he really pushed the boundaries, which has pushed Atomic to the next level in, in how they uh, have the equipment set up for, for, for all of the racers now that Marcel's not around anymore. They've actually got a new little hidden weapon that we're not allowed to tell you about because, no, We've because, Finn, because, Finn. because Finn, what do they say? <laughs> what is it what goes on fight club stays on fight club so yeah if you if you kind of look out very carefully in some of these gs super g downhill races you may see a little something but that's all we're gonna say no, come on, Finn. and come on. in january you might hear some more and you might see um that marcel hersher appearing in some form or another what? so watch this space january <laughs> it's all about january, january i would say january we'll come back on in january you what you're, you're saying that Hirsch is making a comeback? Maybe in, no, a, diff no. in a different guise. <laughs> oh, Ben, you nearly got it, Ben. Ben, I you did, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm win. not biting. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not biting on that one just yet. Um, but I still, I still think he probably could be winning races on those giant twin tips he posted a picture of the other day. I can't believe you're not going to give us any info. Literally, like we've got the inside inside man sitting on the other end of this Zoom call and just tight lips, keeping that tash firmly over those lips, eh, Finn? <laughs> the tash is running heavily right now to keep my mouth closed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing. Okay, so nothing. No, no sneaky peeks. Unbelievable. Sorry. Unbelievable. Okay, let's let's head over to the men. Let's head over to what was the blockbuster day that we'd all expected with crazy tight margins, proper battles, 
and a surprise result, I think. I mean, a couple of people on the podcast predictions league had picked Broughton for the win, but he was certainly not the favourite going into the race day. We saw uh, Pantero fall short. We saw Kranjet also not producing on the day, as well as Christofferson also struggling to hit that top step. But Lucas Broughton, who put in an absolute stormer on that second run, really tactically astute skiing on that second run to take the win over Marco Odomat and Gino Caviezel joining the uh, final step of the podium. Uh, ben, I know that you are super excited that we got back to racing. Uh, did it live up to the billing? It really did. Uh, I know, obviously, already mentioned it when we when we covered the girls. That the sound of that racing is is incredible. Without the fans, obviously, it's very disappointing that you can't have fans at the events because of all the restrictions at the moment. But as a as a skiing purist, one of the plus points is being able to hear what's going on. Um, but for, in terms of of the races, I mean, we, we talked up Lucas Broughton quite a bit last year. Um, obviously, uh, when we've had Charlie on, he's spoken quite a bit about about Lucas. So it's not like he was an unknown quantity, but it was, uh, it was probably unexpected that he'd take his first World Cup win in, in, in Solden. As you mentioned, a little bit disappointing from the likes of, of, of Pantero. He looked like he was he was skiing pretty well, though. Just a couple errors, probably pushing a little bit a too hard. I thought it was a little conservative. I don't know if any if, if you guys agree, but it just seemed like we're so used to seeing that technique that solid that sort of I think maybe even said it in in comms but that sort of metronomic he's just delivering 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 and it looked just slightly that he didn't have that sort of the fluidity like you know how you just instinct takes over and you just have to push a little bit harder and he just sort of had the reins ever so slightly on skiing perfectly but just without that tiny bit that makes the margins when you're talking a couple of hundreds I think risk, it didn't seem to have the level of risk that we've seen for him in the past. And he skied within himself, I would say. He's so powerful, his technique's perfect, but he just seemed to ski a little bit within himself. And uh, in the past, we've been blown away by his level of performances and his wins in the past season here in Solden. We won by half a second last year. You know, he's, he's going to take the whole season by miles because what we've seen in Solden, and we didn't see that this year. So it was a surprise. And it was Nick's top pick was uh, Pantero. And it didn't happen for him. Um, it, it, the risk was missing for me. It was very interesting. Finn, you touched on it briefly. We we saw quite a few of the the sort of speed guys, the guys that wouldn't expect to see in there. We saw Creekmeyer uh, getting a second run, Meyer getting a second run. We also saw Kilda, who we do think of more of a speed skier, but he's starting in the top seven. And the guy was up by four tenths at that uh, first bit. So he is going to be, He's. I don't think he is a typical speed guy you know, coming to play a bit at GS. This, that guy's there for the globe for GS. He's definitely going to be in with a, a shout of of taking the overall, if he can carry on skiing like he did on those opening turns. But Odomat, another one that's, you know, skiing multiple disciplines. Those young guys, and I don't know if it is the young guys, just threw the kitchen sink at it at the weekend and, and were risking everything. The recoveries that we saw Broughton make were next level, but that's instinct. Yeah. And do you think some of those younger guys almost have got nothing to lose? So, you know, why not throw everything at it? You know, see what happens, I guess. You know, they're, they're not expected to win. So actually, they're the kind of people that can come from behind and, and you know, make the all or nothing ballsy run and it pay off. And I guess Broughton was exactly that. You probably touched on something there, Sal, because I think most of the 
the guys that we expected to win or the guy the, certainly the podium we expected were I think pretty much all of them were skiing within themselves. Kranjek was cautious on the steep, cautious coming off the steep. Uh, the same with Christofferson, really cautious up top. It took a while to get into it. Pintero the same. We saw Tommy Ford. I don't know what he was doing. He's very, very relaxed. And we're always used to seeing him lying down. He's so relaxed in the start gate sort of thing. But he took that relaxed sort of style to the next level for me. And it, that really didn't pay off for him. We've seen it building over the last couple of seasons, these tiny, tiny margins. What was it? It was separated by five hundredths for the win today uh, on Sunday. Sorry, it was five hundredths between first and second. Uh, slightly bigger back to 0.46 for third but we're so used to these tiny margins that even the best guys in the world now cannot sit back and rest on their laurels the level is so high they all have to push so hard and they've been used to having to get anywhere near the podium having to push so hard i was really impressed with kilde although he came out and last year he pushed into giant slalom so he could take the overall he took the overall globe because of his improvements in gs and for me he stepped up again. Yes, he ended up coming out, but that four tenths you talk about, that's a huge margin when we're talking at the end of that first run, six guys were in quarter of a second and he was four tenths up before he came out. So, you know, Kilda is for me the man to look out for the overall. He, he impressed me the most. Yeah, Kilda was, he was absolutely flying on the top and I think that was something that Dave and, and Ed and I chatted about on the, on the podcast before. Uh, saying his power could be a real asset on on the flats um, and obviously his joy of going extremely fast on the downhill side meant he wouldn't be too fearful of the steeps either. So, yeah, like like you say, Finn, we saw last year he's got enough to cover three of the of, of the disciplines, which could be enough to take the, the globe overall again. Pantro well, think... might have something to say about it, but he 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 looks in, in incredible form. It's only one race, but he, he did look in, in top form. But without the without the Alpine combines, you're now really looking at three disciplines. And if you look at that men's side, he's the only one realistically that can win in all disciplines, in, in, the, in three disciplines. Pantero can pick up points and maybe he'll have to ski four disciplines if he wants to take it, because you know we've seen Kilda definitely can it looks like he can win in GS he can certainly obviously win in Super G and downhill Pantero can win in slalom and GS but is he going to win in Super G you wouldn't say that it's likely he said he's got a chance like most of the good guys have because it's so close but is Pantero going to have to start skiing four disciplines if he wants to take the overall this year because Kilda's put down a massive marker even with only skiing 25 odd seconds also, right. don't forget, Christofferson's put on a few pounds, so there's every chance he'll be all up for the Super Gs this year with his newfound giant bulk. I don't know if anyone's seen him up close, but there's been lots of talk of all this weight he's been putting on. I'd be intrigued to see how much bigger he actually is. One of us needs to learn Norwegian, because I want to know what he's saying to himself in the start gate. Yeah, Finn, it was uh, certainly a day for the young guns that wanted to take some more risks. Odomat, what a second run that was. I think Odermatt is potentially the guy that we need to look out for the overall that's going to be pushing in there. He's got the skill set and we talked about it on your sport to say, this looks like, can you mark Odermatt? This is calm. This is more relaxed. This isn't a young pup going absolutely crazy and smashing off into the net. This is a guy that's controlling his skill set and that's starting to feel comfortable enough yeah. that he doesn't have to do 110% risk because some people need to up the level but he actually needs to calm down and, and he's got that right. He's second in the first race of the season. He won the second run and uh, 
wow, he is one for the future. He's matured, hasn't he? Over the last couple of seasons, he burst onto the scene a couple of years ago with uh, World Junior after winning World Juniors, coming into World Cup finals a couple of seasons ago, and you know came in as most of the youngsters do. River Adamus did the same sort of thing, burst onto the scene, World Cup finals, big performances, and then they still have to find their feet at World Cup. River ended up uh, finishing thirtieth, just sneaking himself on a second run, two point three two off the pace, and so these young guys still have to find what works for them. And I think you're right, Finn. Odomat just needed just to drop that intensity just slightly so that he could make a good decision rather than just going bang, full gas, regardless of what's actually happening. Yeah, I've said for a couple of years now, it would be nice if you could have a hybrid of uh, Loic Mayard and Marco Odomat, because if anything, Mayard was always a little bit too relaxed and a little bit too kind of smooth and just having beautiful skiing, but maybe missing a bit of that edge. And then Odomat was the one that was maybe just going to go a little bit too hard at it. Um, but now if, if uh, Odomat's found that that level of kind of touch and restraint when he really needs it, he's certainly got the aggression that will give him the speed when he needs it as well. So brilliant, brilliant effort. From him. Talking of uh, Lucas Broughton, so he's only actually 20 years old as well, um, which is pretty impressive to then be winning a World Cup. So just a little bit of stats. I'm going to steal from you, Ben, here. Uh, so that um, he's raced 22 World Cups and that was actually his 23rd uh, World Cup. And that was the one, obviously, he won um, at only 20 years old. So there, there is definitely more and more of these young young racers, um, you know, coming on to, you know, not just onto the World Cup, but winning. And it's like, set. yeah, and it's kind of like, well, years ago, it used to be that, you know, you're peaking in your 30s, you know, or late 20s and things like that. But now it's definitely not the case at all. And another interesting one about Lucas was um, a couple of seasons ago, he was on a different brand and Atomic saw him as the future and, and went big to try and get him in, knowing that Marcel was going to be stopping in a couple of seasons. And I think uh, the decision that they made to go in big to get Lucas onto the team uh, is now a justified call and how we can see that level coming through as a 20-year-old. Yeah, very impressive. Didn't, doesn't bother with uh, second or third, first podium straight to the top annoyingly good at 20 years old not sure if anybody else you know big respect because it was some pretty excellent skiing but also very annoying because he's obviously very good and very young but the other thing the interview at the end the maturity the confidence i know i've got a podium in my level of skiing and top step that'll do you know this guy is deeply confident and he's seen people around like Kilde's learned from some of the best he's been around that norwegian family team which I think does so well. It's just funny that Christophe is a little bit outside of that family team, but that team that Mike Polarski talked about, Mike working with Lucas last year and all these other young guns, it's a really nice family environment that they find themselves in and they're able to push up to the very top. I spoke to Mike the evening of the race and I just dropped him a little message saying, I assume that you guys are out doing a little bit of celebrating, whether it's in your hotel or whatever you deem applicable after celebrating World Cup winning Corona times. And he said, no, he's, he's sat in Gatwick Airport. Not the big party that I'd sort of envisaged, but he also said that it wasn't, he said it was quite an emotional victory. And I think that probably speaks from the things that you were just saying there, Finn, about how it is a family and what a great unit they have there. What an awesome training group that those Norwe those young Norwegians have got. And to be fair, I think the Swiss look like they've got a similar sort of training group alongside them as well. Yeah. And also, you know, at the current moment in time, this race has been like that massive anticipated 
build up you know it's like is it going to be on is it not going to be on you know is the world cup going to ever happen you know there must be such a like kind of i mean the hard work they've just, had to just go a, through you know, just excelling ex- yeah. expelling all that sort of energy yeah and just i mean to actually be up there to be able to race and then obviously to win you know just everything about it and i know you were talking earlier ed with uh, noel and he was saying about just how the actual world cup ran and yeah he was saying that it was um he said it was just very odd very quiet those of you that have seen world cups and been there and, and sort of experienced that side of things it's it's a n- loud noisy place the finish areas whether you're in you know whether you're in lake louise which of something like that tends to be very quiet whether you're in kitsville where you're fighting your way through crowds 30 deep to try and get into the finish area or get to the lift it's a noisy place to be and 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 noli was saying that it's eerily quiet and all you could hear was um security guards shouting at people to put masks on and and to make sure that they were doing what they were supposed to be doing when you get 20 to thirty thousand austrias listening to dj let's say as the finish area and drinking <laughs> as many gosser beers in 24 hours as possible it creates quite an atmosphere so it's a different place especially Austria, because that, they have that type of Finnish area. It's a festival of celebration of, of, of the mountains. Uh, and, um, I mean, the biggest part is that the race went, the race was safe, and everyone, you know, we had the experience on the TV. And it'll be really interesting going forward, when do we potentially have those types of experiences in the Finnish area that we're used to in the past, especially in Austria and the, and the Gossa Beers? Well, uh, on, the, on the podcast I did with Marcus Waldner a few weeks ago, he was saying that they've basically done the tour anticipating no crowds through the whole the whole season, which I think is a sad prospect. But if that's what it takes to get the World Cup away, then obviously we'll take it. But um, And it's obviously easier to adjust to if somehow we're able to have crowds. Obviously, it's very easy just to, to switch that up and to put them in. But he said the whole World Cup season is it has been designed and has been moulded, sculpted to operate without fans which is pretty, pretty scary. But maybe the Austrian tech team might actually be thankful. Otherwise, I'm sure they'll be getting some pelters <laughs> from the crowd. Yeah, it used to be uh, was a few years ago when uh, uh, Austrians were throwing snowballs uh, over the head of Christofferson when he was racing at Schladming. He might be quite, be might be quite happy. They'll just be throwing them at the Austrians instead this year. Um, <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see how the fans... Do do play out. Obviously, it's a lot easier when a resort's not really up and running yet to say we're not having any fans. But if resorts stay open and in a few months' time you're in the middle of the main part of the season, how are they going to keep people away? If the resort's open and the lifts are there, you're going to need a lot of uh, pistas to keep uh, to to keep uh, fans away from the edge of a, a race if there's one on. We sort of covered some of those questions, and he was saying that. In obviously, he did t- talk about Solden, obviously, because it was pre Solden. We had this interview. He said that that Solden's obviously easy because it's not open yet. But you're right, Ben. As soon as we get to Courchevel or we get to um, Valgardena or any of these places, or you know, Adelboden and all of these Kitzbühel, how are you going to keep people away from Kitzbühel? Basically, they're just they're not they just won't be having finish area sort of grandstand finish areas and stuff. He says that, you know, people with lift passes will be able to do, they can go where they can go. They can't, they're not shutting mountains. I assume if the public aren't as far enough away from the course setters and the athletes as they would like, they'll just make the piece that, you know, the, the, the earmarked piece slightly wider just to make sure that the athletes aren't being put at risk. But I, I don't think there's anything else you can really do. Um, yeah, the cordoned off sections will just have to maybe go out and allow a, a lift being only for the racers. But 
you know, for, for the season ahead, the lifts are going to be turning, the, the, the Alpine nations have committed to mask wearing and, and, and the distancing in place have already been out um, and skied Stelvio uh, with my son this summer. And, you know, with, with the mask on, you know, we, we were up in the mountains and enjoying the mountains and we have to do some changes this season. But um, each individual country has its own rules, but we're going to be able to get out. We're going to plan to ski this season. And that's, that's a big thing for everyone at home is it has to work for yourself. But, but, but it is going to be possible to get out there and get skiing when you want to. And if not, we'll all come and visit you in Scotland, Finn. Yeah, I think it's is that all right. Yeah, the Scot <laughs> Scottish skiing could have an absolute bumper winter this season with people not being, you know, really allowed to go anywhere else. That's if Scotland stays open. No, I think uh, I spoke with Andy Meldrum uh, just uh, yesterday, who's the guy that runs uh, Glencoe and uh, Glencoe Mountain Resorts, and, and he's very committed to, to, to running a good, positive season in Scotland. And what I think about Scotland this season will be a lot of people who've never skied in Scotland before will ski in Scotland for the first time this season. I think that's for sure. Um, and I'm excited to see them up on the mountain because I'll be there. And so they should, because we were there at the uh, end of last season, literally a week or so before lockdown mania commenced. And we probably had one of the best weeks ever. We had to move like the whole entire oh, yeah. industry ski test from Italy to Scotland um, in the space of about, well, 12 hours, not even. Um, and we had an epic week. So, yeah, definitely don't don't put it off. But obviously we're going to be able to get to Europe. So it'll all be good. Uh, although if you do, if any of you, especially the North Americans, if you come over to skiing in Scotland, and genuinely, when Scottish skiing is on point, it is absolutely stunning. The, the landscape up there, the runs, the pistes are brilliant. So if you do get the opportunity, do come. But at the same time saying that, and I've skied all around the world, luckily, but the coldest I've ever been has been skiing in Scotland. And, that is, and I've skied in minus 40 in Canada. I've skied up in the Arctic Circle. But the coldest I've ever been has in, been in Scotland. And it was actually, Finn, you were there. We were at the... Um, the Scottish uh, Ski Cross Championships, and I'd come up there to help build the Ski Cross track. The days preceding had been lovely, beautiful conditions. It turned into a Scottish wet weather storm and got soaked to the skin, literally to the skin. And then the wind turned and the snow came in and I froze, absolutely froze. I tell you, it's called blowing a hoolie. That's called blowing a hoolie in Scotland, that it changes <laughs> from snow to wet and back to snow again. Glorious day. I'm not sure if you guys can hear in the background. Nelly wasn't impressed with my. That's my dog, by the way. It was not impressed by that story. Is not interested in listening to me talk about how cold I am. But going from the extremes of uh, cold weather in Scotland, um, we've also had a little update come in from one of the Australian World Cup races. I know you know him quite well, Finlay. Yeah, Stevie Lee. Um... You know, Stevie Lee is a World Cup winner. Uh, Stevie Lee used to come and support me and the Aussie boys that uh, we used to travel. He used to come to the World Championships. Uh, been surfing, almost drowned in Bells Beach, Australia with Stavros Mike. And Stevie Lee's unfortunately ha had a stroke and he set up a Stevie Lee support tribe um, that you can follow. I think Ed's going to put a link in because he's uh, one of these legends of the mountain, one of the most active guys I know. He runs... Um, uh, backcountry uh, skiing experience in Falls Creek, Australia. Some fantastic skiing down in Oz. People don't think of it as great skiing, but it really can be amazing. And uh, we wish the very best, send our love to Stevie Lee. And uh, I think Ed's going to put the link to the support group. And it's on uh, Facebook, Stevie Lee Support Tribe as well, if anyone's interested. Yeah, so a really sad, um, sad state of affairs. So we wish Stevie 
all the best yeah so i'll put a link in the bio so anybody that wants to um and can uh, feels able to to give some some support and donate australian alpine ski racing legend uh, and they've launched a fundraising initiative hashtag steve lee fight back uh, after he suffered a debilitating stroke on the 6th of september this year so we wish him and i'm sure the rest of the ski racing fraternity wishes you well and all the best and like I say, we'll put in a link and if we can be of any help, then do get in touch and let us know. Over the next few weeks, obviously there isn't much racing. So next on the calendar is going to be the parallel G. Well, it's, they call it just the parallel now. So they're, not, they're trying not to call it a parallel GS or a parallel slalom so that we don't get people complaining that it's not like a, a slalom or a giant slalom. So the parallel event is on the 13th and 14th in Lech which is over in the Austrian Alps, uh, the women race on the 13th, the men race on the 14th. Finn, big fan of the parallel? I think it's a really interesting new concept. I think it's very easy for non-ski racers to get it, qualifying through to the final. There's been some small little things we've had to change to make it fair. There's been complaints last year, one course to another, when we get after the first round and you don't go two runs. There's complexities in any new sport. Uh, we're getting there with it. It's going to be giant slalom skis more often. And um, yeah, I, I really like it. Agreed. Uh, I also agree with uh, uh, Marcus Wildner's comments that he made when you uh, were interviewing him, Ed, that when people complain about things not being fair, it's ski racing. The person who goes down two gets a different track to the person who went down one. So these are all professionals at this point. You know, they're just doing everything they can to make it as fair as possible. And they have listened and they have made some tweaks. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. They normally have quite a good atmosphere to them just the head-to-head and the intensity between the two races is is really good to see something you don't see much of uh in in ski racing so it's really good that they're uh embracing these competitions and really giving them a a a full go this year yeah i'm a big fan gentlemen anything else to add i feel we'd be remiss if we didn't throw back to our other british competitor from the weekend on sunday charlie having his uh his attack down the glacier he put up a post afterwards to say he didn't bring his best stuff, but he still feels he's got the skiing in him to go the rest of the season. Yeah, he said he was defeated by the wall, didn't he? Wall won Charlie nil. And so a little bit more work needed, but plenty of races left to go. We were about to finish before I uh, got around to the picks, which because I did rubbish, not really that interested. But uh, <laughs> I, I also got no points for the men's pick because I picked Kranjek, so I'll be having words with that young man. Ben, nil point for you, OC? Correct. Matthew Ferrer skied probably his least attacking two runs I've ever seen him <laughs> ski at Solden, which was embarrassing for me, but never mind. What about you, Finn? Who did you who did you go for? I was with you and Jan Kranjic, and uh, yeah, he, his first run looked to be right on the money, and then the second run just did not work out. He almost... Um, Overtried for it, aiming for that top spot and made some big mistakes before before the flat. So the leaderboard doesn't look healthy. There's links to that on our social media. So go check it out, see how you got on. But uh, joint leader was Ambrosh Privak. He picked Bassino and Odomat. So he walks away with eight points. Joint with him was David Cheshire. He picked uh, Briannoni and Braven. Again, picking up eight points with Raul Denning, picking Briannoni and Odomat picking both second places and ending up in uh, third place. So, yeah, not a great showing from us. A couple of other highlights. Malcolm Erskine of British Ski Academy fame, joint ninth. Dave Riding, 
was calling it big with uh, his one correct pick of Odomat, which was in second. So he uh, <laughs> finds himself down in 23rd. But a lot of us have got a bit of work to do if our picks are going to start coming in. So that brings us to the end of the pod. Finn, Sally, Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Until next time, goodbye for now.